in a fairly stable home uh, for the first part of my life, uh, up until I was about seven or eight, and my dad died of a heart attack. And so all of a sudden, uh, my mom was a single mom with five kids, raging from about two to 16. Um, and there were five of us in total. It wasn't until much later in my life I realized the effort and hard work and sacrifice that she did to make sure we had food on the plates and clothes on our backs. And it was right about that time when I was like in seventh, eighth grade, uh, I started coming to church with a friend of mine. Um, got active in Sunday school and the youth group. Um, really felt like I belonged, like I was a part of something. And that's, for me in my life, that's what I really wanted was to feel a part of something. I got baptized, was an official member, but I knew deep down in my heart that I had never really experienced that gift of salvation that Jesus had for me. Um, I was just playing along, uh, being a part of a group. In the summer of 1988, uh, I was involved in a car wreck and my mom and my brother passed away in that wreck. And that was the summer before my junior year in high school. I think of life before and life after. That was, that was one of the defining moments in my life. And I can remember waking up in the hospital and the Holy Spirit just talking to me and really working on me to say, you know what, if you had died, you would be in hell because you're not saved. You're just playing a game. So I knew I, I wasn't living right. And this, this kept going on for several months. Uh, then finally, we were doing a, a musical dinner theater type situation. We were singing a song and it was called Part-Time Servant. And, and right in the middle of that song, the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clearly as I'm speaking to you. And he said, you're not even a part-time servant. You're a no-time servant. And I don't want any part of it. And right then, I confessed my sins, uh, admitted my need uh, for Jesus to be my savior, um, pledged my life to him. And from that moment on, I have never had a single doubt of my salvation. I knew it from that time I was a new creature. I had been born again, and I now had the power available to me to live life as God intended. Um, but even though I had the power to live life as God intended, I didn't make the choices to live as God intended. I was still living in sin. You know, I knew I was saved. Um, I even, you know, felt like I was being called to be a preacher, you know. And so, I, you know, I went to school, got a Bible degree, and was doing all the right stuff, but living a lie behind the scenes. Several years went by. Uh, as with any marriage, it has its ups and downs. And unfortunately, we had a lot of downs. And we actually ended up getting divorced. And uh, through, through our sheer stubbornness, and our pride, and our anger, and our hurt, we left God out of it. You know, where God should have been the center and the focus of our family, he was barely an afterthought. And so we had gotten divorced. And, and in the middle of that divorce, um, I realized that everything that I thought I wanted, everything that I thought I needed, God allowed me to have. And it was empty, and it was hollow, and it was painful, and it was so utterly dissatisfying that I realized there's, there's nothing in my life good 
apart from God, apart from Jesus. And so God performed a miracle and he healed my heart, he healed my wife's heart, and he brought us back together. So once we got remarried and, and, and we, we said, the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna make God the center of our lives, not the center of our marriage, but the center of our individual lives. Because if we're not doing that, it doesn't matter what else we try to do, it's just, once again, we're play acting. And I can remember sitting in church one day, the Holy Spirit kept saying, why don't you worship me? Why don't you worship me? And finally, literally after about 10 or 15 minutes of this inner dialogue, I just, it finally came out, because I don't think it matters. I don't think you care whether or not I worship you, because I don't think you love me. And just like that, the light went off. My whole problem of sin wasn't that I couldn't make the right choices. It wasn't because I was, you know, choosing wrong. My whole problem with sin was I had the wrong view of God. That my perception of who God was based on my life between losing my father, losing my mother, having people just kill me with different relationships, that my view of God had been skewed and warped by those experiences to the point that who I thought God was was so far removed from who he actually is. No matter what happens, God does have a plan for me. God does have a purpose for me. And I may not understand it, I may not see it, but that doesn't make it any less real. And so once, once I started seeing that, I started seeing God for who he is and to see Jesus for who he is, the Holy Spirit for who he is. That's what turned our lives around. Not only my life, but my, the life of my children, the life of my wife, our family. Everything turned around after that. I had always believed uh, that God loved us. You know, I, believe, I called it the John 3.16 love. For God so loved the world. That's easy to believe. But to believe that He personally loved me, that He cared about me, that I couldn't grasp. But once that concept stopped being alien to me, stopped being foreign, that's made the whole difference in my life. Knowing that I'm a sinner saved by grace, the only way I can make it through every day is through His power and through His goodness. And that anything I do on my own is an utter failure. And that anything I can do through Him will be the absolute success. And it's not because of me. It has nothing to do with me. It's all about God. Julian Dominguez, and this is my story. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Amen. We love you. We love you both. I, <laughs> I've known Julian for probably 30 years now. And um, man, I, you know, you just know some people who've had to go through a lot of stuff. You know what I'm talking about? They've had to deal with some hard stuff. It, it feels unfair. And yet here's Julian saying, you know, even through, even through the difficulty of my life, God, I'm going to give God glory for what he's done and what he's doing, how he's changing me. 
how he's blessing my marriage and my family. We love you. Thank you for your willingness to share a little bit of who you are with us this morning. Don't you love Julian? Appreciate him. Well, one of the things I love about Julian, actually, is uh, he loves good stories. He loves, he loves superheroes and supervillains, right? In fact, if you know Julian very well, you know that he's got most of them tattooed on his body somewhere. He really loves these stories, right? And so when I was thinking about our story for this morning, I couldn't help but think about Julian and the fact that I think he might enjoy what we're talking about today. Uh, have you noticed that it's, we're getting teased by the weather? It's just not fair. It feels like it ought to be cooler outside and it's not. You know what I mean? Or do we have any really fall fans in here this morning? I mean, you're just waiting for the chance to wear your hoodie, your sweater. You know, I, I call it my adult blankie. I love my hoodies. I love my hoodies. Some of you are crazy about fall so much that you're really only concerned about three letters. P-S-L, right? Dee's a P-S-L fan. Pumpkin spice latte for those of you that are not experienced in that. Some, I don't know what's happened with us, but the whole, the whole takeover of pumpkin is pretty ridiculous. But uh, anyway, some of you are crazy about this. Well, I know that anytime this year comes around, and it actually starts in about August, the stores start changing the, their decor and stuff. In August, all of a sudden, they start putting up what? Stuff for Halloween, right? There's colors and fall colors and spooky stuff everywhere. And that you can't help but get to this time of year and, and start realizing, okay, we're getting close to Halloween and and uh, there's that whole world. I, I'll be honest, I used to love scary movies when I was in high school. I just loved being scared. I don't like them so much anymore because I've got kids and, and other things. But, I, you know, I used, to, I used to love it. And it seems like this time of year a new one comes out every year, right? And when I think about scary movies, I think about the bad guys with the first name, you know? And these images just come in my brain. They're, they're creepy. You think about Jason. Oh, just, yeah. just checking back there, you know. You think about Michael, and if you're as old as I am, you think about Freddie. You think about all these bad, awful people, these awful characters. Truly, they are the stuff of nightmares, really. And this morning, as we study the story that we're going to talk about today, it's really not that much different, I'll be honest with you. I've been intrigued with this story uh, most of my Christian life. Um, it's, it's an interesting one, and, but I'll be honest with you, it's one of the most terrifying settings we see in Scripture. So let's look at it together this morning. This is in the book of Mark, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, They went across the Sea of Galilee to the area of the Gerizines. They got out of the boat. A man controlled by an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs. No one could keep him tied up anymore. Not even a chain could hold him. His hands and his feet had been chained, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the iron cuffs on his ankles. No one was strong enough to control him. Night and day he screamed among the tombs and in the hills he cut himself with stones. Check please, right? I'm not going near the tombs, right? No thank you. Nope. There's just no way. I, it's, it's kind of one of those deals like, you, you know, you grow up with a scary house in the neighborhood and you just sort of avoid it. People don't go, they don't go by the tombs, right? Because of this reason. There's a crazy person there. The town knew about it. The text says that he had been tied up before. 
They had tried to restrain him before, and they couldn't. They knew he was there. Crazy person, uh, demon-possessed, strong, uh, cutting himself with stones, screaming out. And this is as creepy as you can get, right? And the first thing, well, let me add this too. The the Gospel of Luke makes it clear, and, and even our text later on speaks to this. He's also naked, so he's got that going for him as well. This guy is creepy and naked. This is a strange story. Well, the first thing I want you to see from this story is this. And it's not actually a laughing matter. It's actually pretty frightening. And that is this. Demons are real. Demons are real. Evil is real. In fact, a lot of times when I'm speaking to people, sometimes I'll have these conversations about God. Is God real with someone? And one of the places I'll start in these apologetic kind of conversations is, hey, do you believe in evil? Do you believe there's evil in the world? And every person I've ever talked to about this, they go, oh, yeah. You can give a few examples of dictators or murderers or different things that have happened. People can go, oh, yeah, there's evil. And I'll just say, well, if there's evil, doesn't it stand to reason that maybe there's also a God that's real, that's good? It's one of the first places that I start. You know, there's no question as we read this story, we need to understand. This is the first point on your your bulletin this morning. You need to understand that the spiritual world affects your physical reality. The spiritual world affects our spiritual reality. Demons are real. Evil is real. In fact, Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul's making it clear, hey, you're bumping up against somebody in your family or something at work or some kind of difficulty that you've run up against, it may, just not be, it may not just be what you see. It may not just be the people you're dealing with. It could be another realm you don't understand. And it could be most of the time it's, you're wrestling with something that is spiritual and not physical. The spiritual world affects, for good or bad, our present and our, our physical reality. When we look at this story, there's no question we see two things at play here. We see spiritual things and physical things. And we see the, the, the demon... And the spiritual world in this man's life controlling his physical body. It says that he's controlled. He's literally walking around in places the demon wants him to go. Saying the things the demon wants him to say. Doing the things the demon wants him to do. He's being controlled by a demon. He lives in the tombs, which is not a good place to live. It's not a good area, right? Um, In fact, I heard a message from Ed Stetzer this week, and he said, "If, if people live in the tombs, it's probably because they might as well be dead. If people are already living in the tombs, that's probably the reason. Outcasts, people who are are struggling, maybe near death, maybe lepers, people like that, they might as well live in the tombs. No one could tie this guy up. He could break chains, iron shackles, rope, whatever the case may be, and he cries out day and night in the tombs and in the hills. So there's not just physical problems. He's also got mental problems. He's got emotional problems. says he cut himself with stones. There's a depression going on. You know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of zombie movies. Some of you may enjoy those things, but I hate them. But they, this guy's a real-life zombie, isn't he? I mean, he's going places he doesn't want to go, and he's doing things he doesn't want to do. And the reality is he was strong enough to break chains. He's strong enough to break shackles. Fairly impressive, right? But he wasn't free, was he? 
He was strong enough to break these chains, but he was still completely bound by the enemy. He was free to walk out of the tombs, but he didn't, did he? Because he was still held captive. He was still bound by the enemy. Let me ask you this question. Was this man created in the image of God? What do you think? Yeah. When you think about the the really bad people in the world, were they created in the image of God? Yeah. The guy on the sidewalk needing a dollar or two, and he's struggling. He may be high or drunk. Is, Is he created in the image of God? Yes. Yes, he is. But I want us to take a look at at this guy's life, and I want you to see what demons and and Satan want to do with the image of God. They want to distort it. They want to mess up the image of God in our lives. And that's what's happened in this man. What's the first thing we see? He's controlled by a demon. His mind, he doesn't have his own volition. He, He can't make his own decisions. He doesn't have understanding. The enemy has taken his understanding from him. He's not making any sense in his life, right? The next thing is he has no uh, sense of community. When he lives in the tombs, he's isolated. He's isolated. The enemy has removed him from who? Community, his family, the people that love him most. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to make you crazy, pull you away from people that care about you, right? He's not safe. It says he's walking around naked and cutting himself with stones. That's not very safe. The enemy is not concerned about his health and life and well-being. He wants to move you away from those things to to unsafe things, to ruin your life, to destroy your life. And then lastly, he's going around screaming day and night in the tombs and in the, the hills. He has no significance in his life. He has no purpose. What's the purpose of his life to go around screaming in the tombs? He's totally lost not only the image of God in his life, but the plan of God in his life. And I want us to see that that's exactly what he wants to do in us. He wants to do the same thing in us. The question I want us to begin to ask this morning as we get into this message is this, where do I live? And I'm not talking geographically, right? Where do you live? Is your life open to things that it shouldn't be? Have you allowed things in your life that look more like the enemy's atmosphere instead of God's atmosphere? They look more like the enemy's plan for your life and not God's will, God's image, God's plan for your life. And what is it in your life that is pulling from you sanity? What is it? What is it in your life that is actually pulling from you away from people? Remember, the enemy just wants to isolate you. I don't really need church. I'm not going to join one of those small groups. I'm not going to do it. I don't really need people. I'll just do church by myself. The enemy wants to isolate you when God wants you with people. He wants you with family. He wants you surrounded in community. And then what, what's stealing from you? Health and life. Because God wants that for you. And what is stealing from you? Your purpose in life. What is your purpose? Maybe you've gone about just blindly for so long. It's like you might as well be screaming in the hills. It just doesn't, it does no good and has no purpose. God's plan and image in your life has a plan and a purpose. What's stealing it? Another thing I want you to see about this guy is that he wants to meet Jesus. (laughs) The very first thing we see in the text in the beginning of Matthew 5 is he runs to Jesus. Let's let's catch up Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 5 verse 6. He says, when he saw Jesus a long way off, he ran to him. 
he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, Jesus, son of the most high, what do you want with me? Swear to God that you won't hurt me. This was because Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked the demon, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied. There are many of us. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Let us go into them. And Jesus allowed it. The evil spirits came out of the man and went into the pigs. There were about 2,000 pigs in the herd. The whole herd rushed down the steep bank. They ran into the lake and drowned. And those who were tending the pigs ran off. They told the people in the town and the countryside what had happened. Okay, so if this guy is not creepy enough as it is, with one demon, now we learn he's got a whole bunch of them. That just ratchets the creepiness of the story up for me completely. And Jesus says, what's your name? He says, my name is Legion, right? We are many. Now, the thing about horror movies is this. When you watch a horror movie, they want you to stay for the whole thing for a couple hours, right? And so for two hours, there sort of seems like this battle of good versus evil. You know what I mean? The good guy gets up a little bit and the bad guy gets up a little bit. and the good, There's kind of this battle going on. Do you see a battle in this story with Jesus this morning? Where's the knife fight, right? Where's the punches being thrown? There, there is no fight because you don't fight God. There is no fight, not with Jesus. We don't see one. We see this crazy person, <laughs> this evil, possessed, scary, naked person running toward Jesus and all he can do even with thousands of demons controlling him, all he can do is run to Jesus and fall on his knees before the Savior. There's no fight. Do you, do you see that? There's no fight whatsoever. Nothing. No fight. All he can do is cry out, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, what do you want with me? Clearly these demons, clearly these demons are subject and submissive to Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. Do you see that? There's no fight. In fact, you know what? They have been uh, disciplined by him before, right? In heaven, God cast out third of the angels with Satan. They, they know what Jesus can do with him. In, in the book of Luke, in this, this story in the book of Luke, the demons, it says that the demons say, please don't cast us into the abyss, which is hell. They don't want to be in hell, in that final judgment, they plead with Jesus, please don't send us there. They know who they're up against. They know what this battle is, and they don't dare mess with Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. Jesus says, what's your name? He says, it's Legion. Well, Legion is a military term, and it means 5,000 soldiers. So the, the demon said, we are many, Right? To me, that could be two or three or four, but no. Legion literally means 5,000. Does that scare Jesus? It might scare me, but it doesn't phase Jesus. In fact, Jesus has used that term before. Matthew 26, you remember the story of Jesus before he's arrested and Peter gets bowed up and pulls out his sword and bam, cuts off the ear of one of the Roman soldiers, remember? This is what Jesus says to Peter. He says, Peter, what are you doing? 
He said, don't you know if I wanted to, I could have called my father and he would have sent 12 legions of angels on my behalf? That's, by the way, 60,000 angels. Jesus is not afraid of a legion of demons. Nothing moves him. Nothing phases him. And they know they've met their match without question. The demons say, send us into the pigs. So the thing you need to know is if there are pigs in an area being herded, that is not a Jewish area, okay? Pigs are very unclean in the Jewish religion. And so that wouldn't have been a Jewish place. This would have been a Gentile place. There are pigs grazing on a hillside or doing whatever pigs do with herdsmen. They're on the side of the hill. The demons beg to be sent into those pigs. Please don't send us out of the area, they say, but send us into those pigs. And so Jesus allows it, and the pigs, all of a sudden, the demons go out of the man into the pigs, and the text tells us there's 2,000 pigs. So there's at least maybe 2,000 demons. Maybe there's more. We don't know. But the pigs rush off the cliff and into the lake, and they're drowned. Stetzer said in his message, I thought it was really important, he said, you know, these pigs are showing us the intent of the demons. The pigs in this moment show us what the demons want to do to that man, what the demons want to do to you and what they want to do to me. They want to kill us. Remember what Jesus said in John 10, 10? The thief comes to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. That's all the enemy wants to do in your life, steal, kill, and destroy. And when they got in those pigs, they destroyed their lives. They're showing us the intent of Satan and his demons in our own lives. Now, I just keep wondering, God, how, how did this man get to this place? What happened with this man? How, why is he so messed up? This is such a sad story, really. And, and, and this, this scripture is very interesting. It could give us some aspect of kind of the backstory of this man's life. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 65. This is a warning from Isaiah. He says, I spread, this is God speaking through Isaiah, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks. Watch this. Who sit in tombs, spend the night in secret places, and eat pig's flesh. Do you, do you notice some common themes here? Some common things that are going on? If nothing else, this text could show us how this guy got there. Because we don't have the backstory on this man's life. What happened? What choices were made? What did you allow into your life to, to let demons, thousands of them, come in? How did you get here? What happened, man? And this gives us maybe some sense of what happened. Let's look at it. God says, I spread my hands out as if to res rescue and to save to people. But they're what? They're rebellious. They don't want me. They turn another direction. They walk in their own way, and it's not a good way. They walk in their way, not my way. They turn, turn against me. They follow their own devices. They choose their own way. And they provoke me to my face, not worshiping the way I've set up for them to worship. Man, don't we do that sometimes? We all have moments in our lives where we do these exact things. We rebel against the holy God. We say, God, I just really want to go my way. I want to do my thing. 
We think, well, I'll never get to the place where I'm sitting in the graveyard, possessed by thousands of demons, crying out, cutting myself naked, a crazy man. I don't think he ever thought he would either. And yet he opened up his life in rebellious ways, turned from God and walked in his own ways and own devices, did things for himself, didn't honor the worship of God. And look what happens. He's sitting in tombs. He's isolated from people in secret places in a Gentile land, possibly eating pig's flesh. Maybe this is his backstory and maybe it's ours as well. Here's the next, next point I want to make for us this morning. This is a creepy story. This is a scary story, but I want you to see something here <laughs> bigger at play. And that is that this crazy, demon-possessed, cutting himself, screaming out, naked man is not the scariest thing in the story. Do you see that? The only thing I see in this story that's scarier than this man is the holiness of Jesus. Because if this man is creepy and if this man is scary, he runs full speed, and it says in the text, from a long way off because he sees Jesus. And he does what? He falls on his knees before a holy God. No fight. If there's anything scarier than this man, it's got to be the holiness of Jesus. The man begs for mercy. They were afraid, those demons were afraid of Jesus. And it just reminded me of God's holiness and how often in Scripture we're see, we see the importance of his holiness and what it is and that we need to be aware of that holiness. We see uh, uh, God told Moses, right? He says, if anybody sees me, sees my face, they will surely die. Isaiah in chapter 6 is undone before a holy God and he says, God, I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. I can't, I can't bear to be in your presence. We see the holiness of God represented in the Ark of the Covenant, 1 Samuel 6. We see this guy mentioned not too long ago, Uzzah. They're walking along, the Ark is on a cart. The, ark, the, the cart starts to wobble a little bit, and Uzzah, you think he's trying to be a good guy, trying to help out. He puts his hand up to balance the cart, but you know what? God doesn't need our help. He needs our obedience. He wants our obedience. He wants us just to follow his rule. He wants us to respect his holiness, and he didn't. So he touches the ark, dies immediately. The ark carries on a little further, and some men look in the ark. You know what happens? At least 70 men die immediately because of the holiness of God. It wasn't respected. I couldn't help but think about the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know? The Ra I mean, you got that scene. I'm telling you about these movies this morning. You can tell I like movies. But the scene, you have know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and you know the little German guy with the little spectacle glasses and, and his face melts. It's a really interesting scene. Who, who knows that, that Steven Spielberg was being so accurate to Scripture that 70 men are killed when they open the ark because they didn't respect the holiness of God. What about Ananias and Sapphira? We talked about them, I think, last summer in our Acts study. They are trying to con God. They're trying to con the church. They drop dead because they didn't respect the holiness of God. We see Peter. Peter's finally coming to the understanding of this is not just my buddy Jesus. This is not just my friend I get to live with and spend time with. This is the son of the most high God. And Peter says to Jesus, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. Because when we really and truly begin to see the holiness of God, you can't help but see the lack of holiness that you have in your own life. 
Peter said, depart from me. I am a sinful man. What about the centurion in Matthew 27? Jesus dies on the cross. The Bible tells us at that moment that an earthquake happens. The veil in the temple is torn from top to bottom and dead bodies begin to rise. And the centurion says, truly, truly this is the son of God. He recognizes the holiness of God and what's going on. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2. He says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we see it when these demons run and bow at their knee. We see the truth in this statement of Paul that they have to bow before this holy Jesus. And we probably get the best picture of the holiness of Jesus in Revelation from John. Look what he says in Revelation 1. Fascinating passage. It says, and I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were a flame of fire and his feet were like burnished bronze. And when, uh, when it has been caused to glow in a furnace, his voice was like the sound of many waters. And his right hand, he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Is Jesus holy? Yes. So holy. We can't comprehend it, but John shows us our appropriate response to a holy Jesus. Like dead men on our face before him. The only thing more terrifying than this creepy man in this story is the holiness of Jesus. The one who, whose name, when mentioned, bends the knees of everything in heaven, above the earth, below the earth, who has victory over death and hell. That holiness ought to be frightening to us. The Bible says in uh, Psalm 128, that everyone who, who, who has a fear of God is blessed. In Proverbs 15, it says, if you're going to be wise at the very beginning of wisdom, I mean, before you learn anything else, at the very beginning of wisdom, you need to understand and have a fear of God in Proverbs 15. See, we're not, it's not that we're scared. It's that we have a healthy, godly respect. Too much in our culture today is about Jesus, our buddy, you remember the T-shirts he used to have, Jesus is my homie? Remember those T-shirts? Jesus is not your homie. Jesus is not your buddy. <laughs> He's the first and the last. He's the living among the dead. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is to be worshipped because he's holy. Mark 5, 14. Those who were tending the pigs ran off. They told the people in the town and the countryside what had happened. The people went out to see for themselves. Then they came to Jesus. 
I love this. They saw the man who had been controlled by demons. Look at, this is hyperbolic writing on Mark's behalf. He's wanting you to see. He was controlled by demons. Now look at him, right? Then he came to Jesus and we saw the man who had been controlled by demons. He was sitting there. He was now dressed and thinking clearly. The townspeople come to see all this for themselves. You said, what? Our pigs are where? (laughs) My investment is where? My business, just what? Who did this? And you say, the guy we tried to tie up, he's, what? I got to see this for myself. And they show up and they see this crazy man now dressed. Now, what does it mean that he's dressed? (laughs) It means that Jesus is showing him dignity. Jesus is saying, man, I'm going to help you put your life together. You have value. You have worth. He's given his self-respect, self-esteem back to this man. He says he's in his right mind. He's thinking clearly. Jesus is giving him peace. The demons are gone, and I'm going to begin to reconstruct your life. And the people see this man sitting there clothed and thinking clearly. And this is what it says they felt in verse 15. All this made the people afraid. (laughs) So they weren't afraid of the crazy guy in the tombs running around screaming and cutting himself naked? But they're afraid of Jesus who made him better? It's confusing to me. And then they do something even crazier. They beg Jesus to leave the area, don't they? says they beg him to leave the area. And I just ask myself this right here. Does, does your fear of God draw you near or drive you away from Jesus? Because the crazy man is now sitting next to him. Oh, it draws me near. I want to be protected by the one who can protect me from those demons, from life. I respect this holiness of Jesus, but I want to be near him. Or does his holiness drive you away? Go away from me. I don't have anything to do with you. And then I think there's something very interesting in this text that I want to bring your attention to. The people beg Jesus to leave, it says, the area. Leave the area. It caught my attention because the demons asked for something similar. Back in verse 10, they said, it says that he begged Jesus not to send them from the area. This is what I think. You think it's a coincidence that, that when people want Jesus to leave, the demons want to stay? Is that a coincidence? Is it a coincidence in your life when you want Jesus to be far away from you, the demons want to be close? The darkness wants to be close. That feels welcome around you. I hope not. But that's exactly what we see here. The people are saying, Jesus, go away. And the demons are saying, oh, that's where we want to be. Where Jesus is not. The question is this, who is welcome in your life? What kind of atmosphere have you allowed in your home for your children? In your life, is it a Jesus atmosphere? Is it a demonic, dark atmosphere? Is there life or is there death? But the good news this morning is this. We fear God and not his enemy, right? We need to have a fear of God but not of the enemy. And I just wanted to be really clear and I wanted to to help us understand some practical sense. I believe we have some believers in our congregation that 
may not know a lot about the Word of God, I want to remind you of a few things as believers here this morning in a practical sense. Deuteronomy 18 says, we don't practice magic. God hates if you practice magic or evil or cards or, or take part in evil powers or put a spell on anyone, get messages, talk to, or advice from the dead. God hates it. It opens your life to the enemy. Habitual sin opens your life to the enemy. And you go back up to that passage in Isaiah, right? People walking in their own way, doing what they want to do. That opens your life to the enemy. Don't, don't do it. Push it back. Be careful with the movies that you do watch. Be careful with what you allow into your home. Be careful with the music that you play. What goes into your heart, what goes into your mind, what goes into the hearts and minds of your precious children, the things that they see, protect them, please. Lori and I are hypersensitive. We're, we're just regular people like you. We like movies. We like TV. We like music. And, and we don't watch crazy stuff, but there's crazy stuff just about everywhere. And so we're watching a game or we're watching a TV show on regular TV and a commercial comes on. We're like, oh my gosh, we're covering our kids' eyes. We gotta be careful with what we allow in our atmosphere, in our homes. Be careful with the video games you play. Man, some of these video games are so evil. Do you not think that's having an effect on your soul? Playing video games where you kill people and rape people? Oh, but it's not, it's not in real life, it doesn't bother me. It's, I, I can deal, it's just a bull. It's affecting your soul. Remove it from your life because that is an entryway. It's an entryway for the enemy to use, I promise you. And friends, that's not what we want in our lives. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee. Resist him. When you're tempted, when you have these opportunities to do this, to live this way, resist it and he'll flee. Problem is we don't resist him, we reason with him, don't we? I want to close it's so not an actual fight with, with Satan and his demons. We don't have to be afraid. 1 John 1, 4, 4, or 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I love Romans 8, 38. We don't have to fear. It says, for I'm convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you. Don't be afraid of the enemy, but have a healthy respect and a fear of God. We finish our story in Mark 5, 18. It says, Jesus was getting into the boat, and the man who had been controlled by demons begged to go with him. That's a change of pace, isn't it? Jesus did not let him. He said, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Tell them how kind he has been to you. So the man went away, and in the area known as the Ten Cities, he began to tell how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Jesus is leaving. This guy wants to go, and Jesus won't let him. Jesus tells him to go where? Go home. Do you know why he tells him to go home? Who knows you better than your family? <laughs> can they tell if you're faking it? Yeah. The closest people in your life, can you fool them sometimes? No. Jesus says, this change is real to, to the core in your life. Go home and show your family. They'll know it's real. And tell them how good God has been to you. And then go and tell people of his mercy. Tell them, tell them what, he, what he's done in you and what he can do in them. Be on mission. 
And it says he goes to Decapolis with this place that was kind of a collection of 10 cities. He had to be intentional to go to those cities. He's on mission telling the goodness of God in his life. And then I want to close with this last statement and this last little thing I want you to see. Anytime we study the word of God, individually or collectively together, it's very important that we, that we read scripture in context. What is God saying through this writer? What do we need to understand? And if we zeroed in only on this story, we wouldn't get the full picture. There's actually three stories in this one little section of stories. Starts in Mark 4, and it's a story where, you remember the story where Jesus gets in the boat, they, all the disciples get in the boat with Jesus, and it says it's at evening, if that changes even your picture of how it, how it would be to show up on the shore in the Gerizines at night or early in the morning. But they get on this boat and they go out into the Sea of Galilee and the waves and the wind are crazy. Remember the story? And these are fishermen. They ought to know how to deal with a boat that's breaking up and taking on water. They, know, they ought to know what to do, but they don't. And they're freaking out. They think they're going to die. And they go to Jesus who is what? Asleep on the boat. And Jesus says, Whoa, where's your faith? Where's your faith? And then he does something incredible. He says, peace, be still. Remember that? And I just, in my, my mind, I see the water just dropping to a still surface. The point of that story is this. Jesus is greater. Everybody say, Jesus is greater. All right, a little better. Jesus is greater. He's greater than creation. That's what the point of that story is. Jesus is over creation. Only God is over creation. Over God is, only God is over the elements, and that's what that story is showing us. He's over the elements. He's greater than creation. Our story about the demoniac is showing us Jesus is greater than all things spiritual. He's greater than Satan. He's greater than the demons, isn't he? He's greater than creation. He's greater than the demons. And then the next story, when Jesus gets on, back on the boat and the people want him to leave, he ends up in a little town, probably Capernaum. It's not a big town. It's, uh, I've been there the size of our property here. And he's in a busy marketplace and people are pushing against him. And a woman, you remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood and she wants to be healed. And so she sneaks in, even though she's unclean, she sneaks in to be around people and she reaches through and grabs his robe. You remember what happens? She's healed. And Jesus feels healing go out of his body. And he heals this woman. The whole time this man, Jairus, is waiting that Jesus would come heal his daughter because she's sick and she might die. And then during this whole process with the woman, his daughter dies. And Jesus goes to his home and he raises this little girl from death to life. What's the point of the story? Jesus is greater than sickness and death. He's greater than creation. He's greater than demons and Satan and all things spiritual, and he's greater than sickness and death. And there's not much in your life that doesn't fall into one of those categories, is it? Right? So we can take hope today. We can be reminded, if I need peace in the middle of the storm of my life, and it feels like I'm going to die, and I don't know what I'm going to do, and Jesus, where are you? He can say, peace, be still. Or if it feels like, man, I'm just surrounded by things that are evil and dark, and I don't know what I'm going to this is, a, this is a bad place. I've, I've allowed things to come into my heart. Listen, Jesus can change the whole story just like that because he's greater than demons. And if you're walking through some sickness or sickness in your family or the loss of a loved one, 
or you're having to deal with the pain of what all that brings, Jesus is greater than sickness and death. What do we learn from this man? What do we learn from this story about our own lives and about God? I think what we learn is we obey him, we serve him, we love him, we trust him. We have a healthy fear and respect for who he is. And let our response to him be one where we bring our lives, just as John did before Jesus in Revelation. Lord, I just, I surrender to you. I'm not afraid of this enemy that's in the world, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Not angels, not demons, not height nor depth. Right? Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we love you. Jesus, you are greater than anything in our lives, any addiction, any brokenness, any demonic uh, thief that would try and steal our sanity, that would try and steal our, our, our community, our safety, our significance. God, you give us all that we need, and if we will live under the identity of who you want us to be, under the image of God, walking in the plan of God, Lord, you will be with us. You will give us all that we need. You will give us hope and peace. You can change any situation. So God, if there's any person here this morning, they've heard this story and they identify in any area, they know that it seems like all these other things in their lives has been greater than them, greater than their happiness, greater than their joy, greater than their finances, greater than their sickness. Everything, life has just bowled them over, God. But when we read your word and we see the power of who you are, you remind us that you, Lord Jesus, are greater than anything that we could come against. You are greater. We don't have to be afraid of the one in this world, but we do need to fear you, holy God, and serve you with all of our hearts, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, with all of our soul. God, if there's one person here this morning that needs to make some change, that needs to quit being rebellious, quit seeking his own way. Lord, would you give him just a desire to follow you? Would you give him uh, the courage, Lord, to say, I need help? Someone might need to come to this altar and pray and seek you, Lord. Would you give them the courage to do that? Someone who's just tired of being sick and tired. I'm ready to change. I'm ready to get serious about this walk with Jesus. Lord, would you help me? I believe you will. <laughs> Even the man as complicated as the story we have today, Lord, he sits next to you clothed in his right mind and ready to serve you on mission. God, if you can do it for him, you can do it for me. If you can do it for him, you can do it for anybody in this place this morning. Would you do it now by your grace? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?